it's been good. You guys having a good week? Like, yeah. yeah, I've had a good week. I was down in North Carolina last weekend, so I left Chi Alpha and then flew down south. And I actually spoke at their fall retreat down in the what they call the Appalachia area. So it's like West Virginia-ish kind of people. Chi Alpha is coming together. And uh, it was really kind of interesting. There's also what's called, I discovered a whole bunch of new words. There's the Nova, which is Northern Virginia. And apparently they're a different breed than the West Virginia kind of people. Nova is like Washington D, DC kind of people. So they're like super like cool. They got a whole different language. And then there's like the Alaskans and the West Virginians and we get along. And so <laughs> it was, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it actually was a really fun time. Uh, it was just super enjoyable. And then flew back and then was, got to be one day in the Chi Alpha offices. And then I was goofing off doing some work last night and got a friend call me and said, hey, there's a bull moose running around in this neighborhood. And I hunt with a bow. And so I ended up shooting and tagging my bull moose last night. And then I grabbed some of my friends this morning and we like hauled it out of the woods this morning. And so I'm tired and I don't. <laughs> And I'm like, man, I feel jet lag. I'm sitting here going, God is good, but I'm exhausted. So um, maybe you've had a week like me. I don't know. Anyway, but uh, being down in North Carolina and, you know, their breakaway is about the same size as ours. So it's like 200-ish or to 250 people and um, just a lot of fun. But, you know, watching students worship, encounter God, like we had a, a number of students find Jesus for the first time. They gave their lives to him and then... Uh, just a bunch of students rededicated, and we had time at the altar to, to deal with, like, sin issues and sin things in their lives. And then the last service, I just made a, a call. You know, if God's calling you to step into, like, small group leading or he's calling you to, like, change your life plans and go into ministry or be a missionary overseas or come to Alaska because it's awesome up here, yeah. right? Um, and, and, like, 12 or 15 of those students came, and they sought me and the, one of the other pastors and just started to talk about how God was really dealing with them in their lives and about how they thought their life was going this direction and now God is kind of interrupting and saying, well, I want you to go in this direction. And it was at the same time both beautiful and obviously very like concerning for them, right? As they're like all their lives plans are like God saying, ha ha, I tricked you. Um, <laughs> not really, God doesn't do that usually. Um, but... Um, what it's done is it's caused a little bit of, like, contemplation in my life. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, like, on the back half, right? Like, I've, I've realized this recently that I'm, I'm probably more than half done. And that's not, like, a good thought. I'm like, wait, that, that, I'm starting to, like, count down some of these years. And I'm going, wait, if I don't do this now, I'm probably never going to do these kind of things. But as I've had a chance to reminisce uh, on the flight home, I looked at some pictures of primarily, like, old Chi Alpha and, and thinking about the highlights, because we've only been around for seven or eight years, and, and I started to just think, you know, I don't really have regrets in my life. Like, there are these, like, minor things, but nothing, like, that jumps out and says, man, I really wish I'd have done something hugely different. And, and it comes down to, like, some of these statements. I wrote them down. I said, you know, why, why don't I have regrets? And so one of them is, like, I've, I've lived and tried to know God. I've tried to live a, a good life take risks. Those of you that know me, I love to take risks, right? Um, seize opportunity, chase dreams, have adventures, embrace friends, eat good food. Like, you don't want to come to the end of your life and be like, I didn't eat that good food, you know, uh, or try new things, right? Uli, are, Uli, are you here? 
there you are. Eat like whale or something, even though it's not good food. All right. Um, I love you, man. Um, explore new places. Like, I love to explore new places. I like to keep an open mind. Like, I know, like, what I know, but at the same time, I'm, like, always interested in, in hearing other people's opinions and thoughts. I want to keep learning and growing, share what I have. I want to fight for what is right and fight for what I love. Uh, I want to, now, here's the thing. As I wouldn't really change the way that I have lived or really many of the decisions I've made. Um, and it hasn't been perfect, and it really hasn't been easy, but I will tell you this, it has always been good, and which, you know, having this time of reflection has brought me to this question of, okay, well then what is the next, you know, if I'm lucky, 40, 45 years of my life? Like, what is this, uh, if you're familiar with Latin, it's called summum bonum, and it is this idea of what is the most important thing, the sum of it all. What is what really matters? Because what really matters, it, understanding that, will determine the next decisions to make that, that I make, the direction that I go. And so, started to think about this, and you know, uh, my mind kind of goes through the whole the way it is. It's very linear. And so, I think about all the way back to this guy named Plato. Any of you heard of them? Like he's like this philosopher, um, and. He said that the summum bonum of life was to gather knowledge. Like, that was his big thing. Like, you guys are in the university gathering knowledge. This is a good idea. But one of his students, a guy named Aristotle, he said that knowledge really wasn't enough, that what he needs to do is to be, uh, take that knowledge and activate it into his character. So just gathering information really doesn't change your life. It doesn't really affect things. But if you take the knowledge and begin to put it into action, well, maybe that is something. And then there was another philosopher, a guy named Kant. Some of you guys in sociology and things have read him. And, and he said, forget knowledge and forget character. Happiness is all that matters. And so it, it doesn't really matter what you do in life as long as you are happy. And this is what we call humanism, where, where our happiness is the center of everything. And if you hang around me very long, you will hear me say that humanism is moronic and uh, our happiness is not the full meaning of our purpose. And if you chase happiness, it is constantly changing. What makes you happy now will move. It will be different in a few days. And you'll constantly be, be pursuing something that you cannot actually grasp. And so at the end of your life, you'll be like, well, I pursued happiness, but was I ever really happy? The Bible talks not about happiness, but about joy, which is a little bit different. But then you go to this other guy, his name is Nietzsche, you guys heard of him, and he rejected everything and said essentially, it, none of this matters as long as we focus on the social good, like what's good for society. And this is where we get these ideas like communism and fascism, where the individual rights kind of get wiped away just for the sake that the society moves forward. And so these are all different thoughts, and we could talk probably the rest of the night about what is the summum bonum, but the, the reality is, is that Scripture speaks really clearly about what life is about. And so I want to turn to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read the last verse of 12 and then into 13 a little bit. And it's, it's probably, I mean, I don't know, some of you know where we're going, but this would not be like the first thing that jumped to my mind if I hadn't been walking with Jesus for a long time. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. It says, And I will show you 
a still more excellent way. So the author of Corinthians is making this big argument about life, and he says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way to live. And then it begins in chapter 13, verse 1, and he says, if I speak in tongues of men and have and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic power and understand all ministries, mysteries, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, it's interesting, right, that literally the Bible is telling us that the focus and the essential thing of life that you should be living for is this four-letter word, love. It's not exactly what you would think, but I really believe that this is the, the crux of life itself. It really is the answer for really all of our woes. And so what I want us to do is I want us to, to dig into this a little bit and try to wrestle with this idea of what is love. Now, if you go to Google and ask that question, you will be amongst the majority of other people in this world. In fact, that is the number one question that humanity asks the oracle. What is love? <laughs> Some of you caught that, yes. Um, it is really interesting. You know, you can Google it and it will have all sorts of answers. The problem is, is that in the world we live in, we recognize love as a lot of different things. So, like, I say the word love, and some of you are like boyfriend, girlfriend. I say the word love, and some of you foodies are going cheeseburger, right? Yeah. I say the word love, and some of you are thinking, like, uh, what's the football team you like, Dosey? The Packers. There it is. You're thinking love Packers. And here's the reason. I can say the word love. I can, at the same time, use that word, love my wife. I can love my kids. I can love a cheeseburger, and I can love the Green Bay Packers. And it's the same word, Right? This is a problem because it does not communicate the differences in what is actually being said. And so the, the ancients had a way to work through this. The Romans and the Greeks, they had different words for different meanings of love, right? So uh, just to throw this at you, this is kind of like the classroom time. There's this word called storge in Latin, which it says essentially this. It's a love of country or sports team. So when you say, I love UAF hockey... In the Bible, that would be the word storge. And so when you're reading in the background, it has a different meaning than I love my wife. Another word that is used is phileo, like phileo fish, right? Um, <laughs> so the word phileo means brotherly, brotherly love, which is where we get the city Philadelphia, right? Literally take those two words, Latin, phila, and delphia, and it's love, city. So brotherly love, city. Like it's it's right there. And so when I, the Bible talks about phileo fishing, right, it's the brotherly love that is existing in the scripture. And then there's another word called eros, right? And this is where most of our minds go when we think about romantic love. This is the, the sexual love, the sensual love. And so in the Bible, it talks about this. It describes that kind of romantic kind of relationship. But that's only three. The fourth word is, you probably have heard it in culture, but you may not have grasped this, but it's agape. The agape love is the word that is used for God's love. And it's, a, it's an all-consuming, unconditional, superior kind of love. And so when scripture talks about what the, the focus of life is, 
what the summum bonum, what it all boils down to, it's not saying storge, like I love my Green Bay Packers, or phileo, like I'm all about my brothers, and, and, and all those things are good. What it's saying is agape love is what your life is supposed to be about. Receiving God's love and learning to love like God loves. Does that make sense? And so it's, it's just really interesting as we kind of move with into this is that we need to understand because in our culture now more than ever, we have a confusion about what actually love means. I, I think that, I mean, you guys are like 18 to 24 and I vaguely remember that season of life. But <laughs> one of the things when, when I would hear that love is automatically goes to eros, it goes to romanticism. It goes to emotion and feelings, right? And, and probably your mind went to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your husband, your wife. That's when I say that word love. Or you think about the pop culture stars that have all sorts of weird and twisted relationships. And you're like, oh, well, that's what love is. The problem is, is that we see that kind of love and we automatically define that that is how we should be loved or experience love. But God is calling us to a different kind of love, something that is above and beyond. Uh, it was a couple years ago, I had one of my friends uh, share with me uh, so a, a personal hurt in her life. Her father had recently abandoned their family. Like he just kind of packed up, walked out, disappeared. And her and her siblings and her mother were left in a stranded situation. And at the end of sharing this, she said, but it's okay he fell in love with someone else. And I, I literally paused and I kind of said, hold on. What do you mean he fell in love with someone else? Well, you know, he, he just fell out of love with my mom and he fell in love with this other woman. And I'm like, so he fell out of a plane and fell in a pool? Like, what is this? Like, that is not actually love. And I, I just pushed pause. I said, this is actually a tragedy. We do not justify this we, because love is not an emotion that drives us. Just because one day I don't feel something doesn't mean that I abandon my family, which I am supposed to have an unconditional kind of love for, right? Now, I don't know your personal experiences, but the, what statistics tell us is that the majority of us in this room grew up in a broken home a home without a father and a mother who have an uh, uh, unconditional committed relationship with each other, which tells me that the majority of the people in this room struggle with the concept of an unconditional love that goes beyond emotion and feeling. And yet this is what God is calling us to. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read a little bit. You guys still with me? Yep. Okay. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 7, and it's going to talk to us about the origins of love. Verse 7 says, Beloved, so this is talking to us, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves us has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
Let me just unpack this. We're just going to touch here for just a second. We're going to move on. But I want, you to, I want you to really grasp the origins of this agape love that we're talking about. The first is simply this. We were created by love. God's initial story, this is not our story, this is God's story. And his story of creating us, humanity, was an effort of creating authentic love so that he could have uh, a love that wasn't a robot. We have free will so that we can choose to accept or reject, pursue, or run from God so that God could have a love relationship with his creation. But not only were we created by love, we were created for love. We are objects of affection. Do you guys understand this? That, that his love created us, but he, we, we are literally being pursued by God's love. And then we are also saved by love. So in the Genesis story, when Adam and Eve sinned and they set humanity on a path of a broken relationship with God, when the, the relationship is a rift, the rest of the book from that moment on, the rest of history is God's effort of restoring a love relationship with us. And it was through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, taking our place, being punished for us, that restored the relationship that now allows us to be saved by his act of love. And then finally, what it says is that we are commanded to love like God. So Phileo's great, Eros is great, Storge is great, but he is literally saying in his text, you need to love like God loves. So the truth is that without love, we will literally wither and die. Have you guys ever seen anybody that has uh, got like a love vacuum? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like they're just like they have not had the confidence of someone loving them, and so they... They literally suck up all the love in the room wherever they go, and it's never enough because at some point in their lives, they have not been able to come to conditions that they are a lovable person. There's an interesting story I remember take, uh, hearing when I was in a sociology class when I was your age about um, basically the necessity of love in, in a human's life. So we have Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, right? Maslow, Maslow, Mas, Mas somebody, Mas. There it is. One of you are right. Sounds good. <laughs> Hierarchy of needs, right? What's like the first, the bottom, like food and shelter and safety, right? Um, all of these things come first, but then once you get to the top of the pyramid, what is it? Love. No, self-actualization. I guess it is, but somewhere in there is love, all right? I haven't looked at the chart in a long time. All right. So somewhere in there is love. And it's, it's a, one of the needs of humanity. There's no culture, there's no people, there's no country around the world that could argue that humanity doesn't need love. Now, this was proven, believe it or not, um, you probably very easily believe it, but during World War II, Hitler decided that he wanted to discover the authentic human language. And so he concocted an experiment. He decided that he would take about 50 to 60 innocents and he would wait to see what language they spoke without any outside influence. And so what that means is that he took these infants, he put them in a room by themselves. He allowed nurses to take care of them, but they never heard the voice of a human being. He wanted to limit the interaction, the contact, so that there would be no outside influences. And his thinking, deranged as it may be, was that these children would then spontaneously begin to speak the authentic human language which he obviously assumed would be German, right? 
The thing is, is that the experiment was quickly shut down in just a matter of months because more than half of the infants tragically passed away. And what ended up happening was, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. Basically, this is it. Diapers were changed, but there were no words, sounds, and no affection or love. In a matter of months, the experiment was abandoned as more than half the infants mysteriously died. They were perfectly healthy. They were well-fed, clothed, and their physical needs were met. But the absence of love literally killed them. The story goes that before a child would die, their vitals would stabilize. Their breathing would be normal, but that their eyes would become vacant. No crying, stirring, and a blank stare would sweep over their tiny faces. Without exception, within an hour, they would die. You see, love is, a powerful, is powerful, and it has an inherent need codified in our souls. We were created to be loved. Like friendship, there is no culture, no time in history, and no people in the world that can deny the desire and the need for love. So 1 John 4 helps us understand this. What I want to do is I want to look at, I think, six, maybe seven characteristics of God's love. We're going to kind of bounce through these pretty quickly, but I believe that if we understand the characteristics of God's love, we will understand how we can love right? Because we're supposed to love like God. And then this is the hope that we will learn to love each other like this. Does that make sense? That this community, your small groups, your friends, uh, even your family back home, that you'll be able to find a way to begin to enact the agape kind of love in your life. You with me? All right. So the first one is this. The first characteristic of God's love is that love chooses. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and in this moment, he literally is saying, you didn't get a choice in this. I am choosing you. Uh, we can actually measure the qu quality, nah, not the quantity, the, um, yeah, the quality of someone's love. And so when God says that he chose us, we can measure the degree or the quality of which his love is. And this is how we can do it. First, uh, you can measure someone's love by the degree to which the person, person loved does not deserve to be loved. Does that make sense? So if you do not deserve to be loved and yet you are loved, you can judge that as being authentic agape love. In Romans 5, 6, and 8, it says this. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you understand the, the Christian story, what that essentially means is that while we were spitting in the face of God, rejecting him, you know, kicking and screaming, saying, I hate you, like we would to, you know, an infant would say to his parents, God's saying, I love you so much that I'm going to die for you. We don't deserve his love, and yet he loves us. Another one is how big is the price that is willing to be paid for the person. John 15, 13 tells us that Christ died. Greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. So the, the ultimate price was paid. God's love has a quantity and a quality that has really reached the scale of measurability. He's given all that he can. And on top of that, the greatness, the, the third way to measure love is the greatness of good done for the person that is loved. Does that make sense? So you can measure love based on this idea that if it's done good, not, not what they want, not just some, 
Hey, my dad loves me. He bought me a, a new car. Hey, my, my mom loves me. She made me dinner. No, we're talking about the greatness of good, the, the, beyond the superficial. And when Christ died for, for our sins, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There is no greater good for us than to spend eternity in relationship with God. You guys following? So his love, measurably, is the greatest love that we can understand. And he chose to love us. The second one is that God, or God's love chases. This is fun. Uh, Luke 15, 3-4 says, So he told them this parable. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Um, I could tell a hundred different stories, but um, probably the one that's jumping out at me right now is, uh, is probably three or four years ago, Madeline. My daughter's here. I'm going to make fun of you. Not make fun of you. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to make fun of me. I'm going to make fun of me. Don't look at me like that. Um, love, love. Remember love. All right. So uh, you were like, I want to say 14 or 15, and you were skiing up on Birch Hill, right? Do you remember this? Do you know where I'm going? Yeah. And uh, I was engrossed in some other activity. I don't know what. Got distracted. And dear old dad did not pick up his daughter from Birch Hill after ski club right? And she's there all alone. Like, not like 15 minutes, 30 minutes. We're talking like an hour plus. Yeah, that's what, and I'm like, oh, and she's alone. A young lady in the middle of Fairbanks, North, you understand what I'm saying. Like, this is like, and immediately I'm like, I grab my other three, like, minions, throw them in the car, <laughs> and we go screaming up to Birch Hill, and I'm frantic because I have literally lost my child. And I'm going everywhere, and I'm driving everywhere, and I'm walking the ski trails, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, and there's no one out there. And I'm literally losing my mind because I've lost my daughter. Not a sheep, my daughter. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm like going through like the terrible things that can happen, and then I'm thinking, I've got to tell my wife this is not a good thing. <laughs> I'm a responsible person. <laughs> and... I think one of you got a ride from one of your friends, right? From your instructor who got tired of waiting for dear old dad to come and pick you up. And, and I got home and I was more than jubilant. I don't even remember whether you called me or how we found each other. But I remember, tell the story, baby. Yes. Hey, hey, quiet. Because I was worried, I really was, I was, and I, I was going to tell this part anyway, but I was like, you never leave, you know, like rule number one, you get left behind, you stay put, I'm always coming, I might be late, you might be frozen, but I'll be there, right? But love chases. Like, there's stories in the Bible. There's anecdotal stories throughout history. But love pursues. And we see God pursuing humanity throughout all time. Like, some of you are here because God is chasing you. And you're like, I'm not sure I want to be here. 
but you can't get away because the Lord wants you. Does that make sense? He's following you around in a good way, not because he's got bad plans for you. It's because he loves you. Just like a dad is driving all over the ski trails of Birch Hill and Fairbanks looking for his daughter because he wants what's best. Does that make sense? The third one is love sacrifices. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, than he lay his life down for a friend. So true love is selfless. Write that down. If you're taking notes, write this down. True love is selfless, which means we set aside our own best interests for the interest of others, which is where we in Chi Alpha get our definition for love. If you hang around long enough, you're going to hear this all the time. So we say that love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and his people, which means that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. If you want to destroy your family, be selfish. If you want to destroy your friendship relationships, be selfish. You don't need to go all the way to hate. You just have to value yourself more than everybody else in this room. And you will be alone because that doesn't work, because that is not love. Some of you are already going, well, if I'm unselfish and they're, uh, they're selfish, then they're just going to like suck me dry. You're right. That's why as a community we choose to love unselfishly. Not feel unselfish love, choose to love unselfishly. All right. Um, where are we at? There we are. Love chases, love sacrifices. There we go. This is a good one. I was looking for my story. <laughs> I'm tired, remember? <laughs> so uh, my friend Carl Hedman was at my house today. Uh, yeah. Um, Carl was one of the very first students at Chi Alpha. When we showed up, he showed up in our house, ate our food, sat on our couch, and <laughs> fell in love with Jesus. And he became one of our first small group leaders. Um, just an absolutely wonderful man. He works at the power plant at the university and is still in town. And, uh, but one of my favorite stories of Chi Alpha is Carl's truck. <laughs> Uli was there. Um, so Carl had this pickup truck, and he's very mechanical, super good guy, but he couldn't get the oil filter off of the truck. And so uh, he decided there's a trick mechanics could do that you can shove a, a screwdriver through the oil canister and use it as leverage to pull it off, right? But at the time, Carl did not realize that he was spinning it the wrong way. <laughs> and he was actually tightening the oil canister on and he tightened it so much and used so much force that he ripped the canister off of the engine block with the, the thread still on the spindle that comes in and dumped all of his oil into the street. And it was like, what, negative teens, negative 20s outside? And so Carl, who had a truck, now has an ice cube, right? That's all he's got. And so he's doing, I don't know if he's bouncing around, going to classes, walking or get bumming rides. And so this community decided that we were going to love on Carl. And so a bunch of the guys got together. While Carl was in a class at night, we stole his car. Um, we towed it. We hooked up straps. I remember driving that stupid thing. I think I was in the back because the windows were down, and you couldn't see, and it's being towed, and you're trying to hit the brakes. Someone was in the back. It wasn't me. I was driving. Kevin's like, you weren't in the back. I, you're right. I wasn't. Um, we get it in my garage where it's warm. 
And there's like 10 or 12 guys, and we're all taking turns. It's jacked up, it's warming up. We're taking turns, and we finally get that little piece of that filter off. We change his oil. We get the car started like it's back and going. And so Carl doesn't have a clue kind of what's going on. Someone picks him up from classes and brings him over to my house, and he comes in, and I meet him at the door. And I'm like, Carl, I'm playing my best, like, drama right here. <laughs> Carl. He's, you know, he's like, what's going on? I was like, listen, man, we, we thought we were going to do a good thing. And we towed your car here. We tried to thaw it out and get that thing. And, man, I'm really sorry. I put this big crescent wrench on that thing, and I was yanking with all my might. And it snapped the spindle off the engine block, which means the engine is done. <laughs> and Carl looks at me. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you. God's honest truth. And I couldn't hold it anymore. I'm like, yeah, we fixed your car. And he was jubilant, and I was jubilant, and it was like this great moment, right? But all those guys gave up an evening, came over, messed with a truck that wasn't theirs, bought parts, put it back together. Why? Why? Because love is sacrifices. Love is selfless. All right, love covers and protects. John 21, 13 to 16. We're almost done. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen, sheep, pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, if you don't know this story, if you haven't read the New Testament, you need to. But this is like the moment we see Jesus get angry. And I love it because it's okay to get angry. It's just not okay to sin in your anger. And what Jesus does here is he defends and he protects God and God's house. And one of our beliefs about God's love, one of our things that we know is that love covers and protects. Love fights. Now, uh, when one of the things that I love about this statement is that um, essentially it gives us permission to step in and, and basically love violently. Now, hear me in this right way. So what I mean like this, you guys, this is, I say this every time I talk about love, but you guys have heard this saying, I'm a lover, not a fighter, right? You guys know that? Taylon's like, that's me, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Uh, you're wrong. Because, listen, you cannot love something and not be willing to fight for something. One does not go without the other. They go together. If you love someone, you'll defend them. If you love someone, you will cover them and protect them. Right? And you will put yourself at risk for that. Otherwise, it's not love. It's not agape love. Does that make sense? Um, one of the best stories that always comes to my mind when I think about this kind of love, in the 17th century, there was a guy named Oliver Cromwell, and he was the Lord Protector of England. And he sentenced a soldier to be shot for crimes uh, during combat. Basically, he was AWOL, away without leave. 
And the execution was to take place at the ringing of the evening curfew. Basically, when the bell rang, they shot this man. However, when curfew came, the bell did not ring. You see, the soldier's fiance had climbed into the belfry and clung to the clapper, the thing in the middle of the bell, to prevent it from striking the bell. When she was summoned by Oliver Cromwell to account for her actions, she wept and she showed her hands to Oliver Cromwell. His heart was touched and he said, your lover shall live because of your suffering, because of your crushed and bleeding hands. Curfew shall not ring tonight. You see, God's love of Jesus Christ dying on the cross is that. You and I deserve punishment for our sin. We deserve separation. And Jesus stepped in the middle and took it. You guys understand that? He took our punishment for us so that our curfew doesn't ring tonight. So, so good. First Peter 4, 8 says this. It, above all things, have fervent love among yourselves. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Let's move on. Number five, love lasts. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. God's love is meant for eternity. He didn't just save us for a minute, a year, a century, or a millennia. God's love continues. In Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. My love for my children, whether they wanted to or not, will not end until I end, right? Like, it's just there. It's going to continue. I've told them this before. They can make me mad, right? They can disappoint me, but they cannot stop my love. They cannot end that. There's nothing that they can do that can separate me from them in that capacity. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. And believe it or not, that's the kind of love we need to choose for each other. All right. Love suffers. John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible says that Jesus wept. Believe it or not, one of the things that separates Christianity from really all other belief systems is not only that, that we have a God that pursues us and we're not trying to find out and discover God, but also we have a God that suffers, that's willing to suffer for our sake. Loving someone and losing someone hurts. Love will often cause suffering, but love still must continue. If you love someone and they reject you or don't return your love, that hurts also. But Christianity says we keep loving. It's easy to take those pains and turn it into bitterness and separate ourselves from the summum bonum of life. The last one, number seven, love changes you. Let me read this. Well, let me put this. Love begins with a choice and changes your character. In John 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Hear this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So basically what this is saying is that the world, the people in your school, in your classrooms, your family members, will know that you follow Jesus by how you treat one another. They will know whether you are a Christian or not is if we treat each other with agape love. But that's not it. John 17, 21 continues and says, I do not ask for these only. We'll move on. Uh, and I knew that they also may be in us. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to read it all. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one in love, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So not only will the world know that you follow Jesus by the way you love, but the world will know that Jesus was sent by God by the way you love. This summum bonum, not just for your life, but for this world is simply love. Unselfish love that perpetuates love. You, you know, when we say things like you find a need and meet it, um, that feelings will follow actions, which means you make a choice, you begin behaving like love, and eventually those feelings will come. And, and this is where some of those things come from. You guys know what a magnet is? Everyone here? You remember that? I'm going to pretend to be smart right now, just so you guys know. Uh, when I was like 12, I did a report on magnets, and so I know a little bit. Um, nice. It's pretty sweet. I got like the science award. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Anyway, magnets are like the best magnets. Well, some magnets. I don't know if they're the best. They're like iron, right? They're made out of iron. And you know what a dipole is? They're like the little molecular structure inside of an iron magnet, right? And if you take a piece of iron and you stick it to a magnet, do you know what happens to those, like, dipoles? Anybody, anybody? They align, right? You, if you smack it really hard on the ground, did you know what happens? It, it aligns. The dipoles align. And, and what happens then is that, that that piece of iron is no longer an iron. It's a piece of iron. Well, it's still a piece of iron. But it's an aligned piece of iron, which is now called a magnet. It's really, it's really amazing scientific kind of thing. <laughs> It's spectacular. It's so, so good. Uh, but my point is, is that the literal structure of the piece of iron has changed. The way the mo molecules act and behave has shifted. Simply because it got smacked in the head with a hammer, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but this is a, a simple analogy for you guys to understand, is that our character and who we are will begin to change when we begin to accept agape love and choose to give agape love. You want to be kind and nice? Receive God's love and learn what it means to be kind and nice, and then you can, in turn, be kind and nice. If you want to be generous, recognize and accept God's generosity, cherish it, be grateful for it, and then turn it around and, and be generous to others. You see, it's amazing when you bump into a really strong magnet like God's love that all of a sudden the dipoles, big science word, <laughs> in your life will begin to align themselves so that you too will begin to have the same properties in your life that God has in his. It's pretty neat stuff. And see, the business of our lives is to simply have these things fitted into our character. So Alex, why don't you come? You're there somewhere. There you are. Man, I don't like that it's getting dark this early, guys. <laughs> Makes me very uncomfortable. Anybody in, a, in Fairbanks for the first time ever, like, yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> You'll know what hell is by the time. <laughs> I'm sorry, hell frozen over. Uh, So um, as I've thought about this, this conversation, this is really not only the, 
the summum bonum of Chi Alpha, but as you know, it's, it's the summum bonum of our lives. And, and I, I don't want to walk through tonight and say, hey, have a great night. That's a good thought on love without giving you guys, first of all, an opportunity to respond to God's love. Um, and then taking just a few minutes, perhaps, to start to process how this uh, begins to, to be lived out. Because, um, like, Chi Alpha is genuinely a community and a family. Which means, like, some of you have just showed up and you're like, what in the world is a crazy place? But for those that stick around and invest in small groups and invest in relationships, uh, these are relationships that will last the rest of our lives in eternity. And so, like, for me, when I think about walking with Kevin or Big Jake, you know, I, I look at these guys and I go, man, I want them to figure out how to love well, mainly because I'm going to receive that. No, um, but... <laughs> because it will bless me, but I want to love them well, and, and I want that to be something that other people get to rub up against and allow their lives to begin to be changed. See, it's not happiness, right? It's not knowledge. It's not just putting knowledge in action. It's not societal good. Those are all good things, right? But literally what we've tried to, I've tried to explain to you is that all of those things and everything else in life boils down to understanding what real love is. And the only way that happens is, is by encountering the creator of love. You have to know God to know love. It doesn't happen any other way. And so uh, why don't you guys just bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to ask this simple little question. If you are not in a relationship with God, which means uh, you do not call Jesus your Lord or your Savior, or you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but yet you've been listening to me uh, tonight, and you're like, I don't know what fully understand what that guy's talking about, but that love thing sounds pretty good. And if there's a God that loves me, I would like to get to know him. I would like to start a relationship with him. So if that's you in this room tonight, I would just ask this. If you want to start or fix a relationship with God, can you just look up at me and just kind of put your hand up just a little bit? Okay. Is there anybody else? Okay. Anybody else? Yep. Yep. Okay. So here's the deal. If you've got your hand, you raised your hand and you looked up at me, um, Bible is really clear that there's only two things that really need to happen. You need to confess that you're broken, that you're a sinner. And then the second one, it says that you need to confess and believe, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. Now, everyone in this room wants a savior. We want someone to fix our problems. But the Bible doesn't say confess that Jesus is your savior. He says confess, the Bible says confess he is your Lord. Because he will not be your savior unless he can be your Lord, which means he's your God. He gets to, to guide and direct your life. And that's actually not a bad thing because he is omniscient, which means he knows everything, which means he knows how to run your life better than you do. And so what I want, what I would love, what you need to do is if you want to start that relationship, I'm going to pray and you're just going to pray it out loud or in your mind after me, this um, I'm a sinner, and I want you to come into my life. But then once we're done praying that, you need to talk to someone. Whoever brought you, the small group you're connected with, 
that you need to engage this moment in those relationships so that they can start helping you walk closer to God. So I'm going to pray. You just kind of pray along with me, and uh, we'll get into the next moment here in just a second. Dear Jesus, me and my friends, we know we are sinners and we're broken, and we can't fix it. God, we need your help, and Lord, we ask you to come into our lives. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you can forgive me for my sins. And Lord, if I can find the courage to make you my Lord, Lord, you can help me find what true love is, and you can help me to love like that too. Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my heart and be my Lord. In your name, amen. I want you guys to just look up at me. We're going to take five minutes. Um, and what I'd love is if you got a small group and you want to talk about these things, uh, if you want to find a corner and you want to talk to God about these things, if you want to sit where you're at and you have a journal and you want to talk right about these things, that's fine. I just want to create some space. This group meets on Wednesday nights for really one purpose, to be a catalyst for small groups to take a step forward in their relationship together and with God. And so if small groups aren't talking together about these things, um, we're, not, we're missing what we're doing. Does that make sense? So let's, Alex is going to play in the background. We're going to just have a few minutes, and then I'll come back and pray, and we'll wrap up our night tonight. If you want prayer, you can see one of the staff, see myself, Kevin, Lindsay, Crystal, um, any of the other staff. We can, we're happy to pray with you. So why don't you guys stand? I'll pray, and we'll just take five more minutes. Lord Jesus, you don't have to stand. You can find a place. <laughs> Lord Jesus, be with us in the next few minutes. Speak to us. Lord God, we don't want to just listen to a guy up here talk. We want to engage you. I want everyone in this room to, to be able to hear you speak to them tonight. In your name, amen.